Yeah, there we go. A nice little guest appearance up front there from our guest. You heard him in the background. We'll introduce him shortly. But this is Hockey 24-7, the one and only hockey podcast in South Africa. And it's gaining traction throughout the world. We are number 138 in terms of the most listened to hockey podcasts on the planet. Only kidding. Uh, probably a lot uh, higher than that. Uh, but yeah, it's uh, been fantastic bringing you everything to do with the sport. And of course, it's not just me. In fact, it's really not me at all. Um, the real man in charge is Tyron Jabu Barnard, who, of course, is with me as always. How are you, Tyron? Yeah, Derek, always good. Always great to be here. And I think uh, some exciting stuff on the horizon. We, we're hearing that... Uh, we may be going down to uh, Durban to cover an indoor series coming up. Yeah, man, that's I, I really can't wait, uh, and and it would be. Uh, yeah, I mean, I've I've been to plenty of hockey matches in my time, but I mean, this is really taking it up a notch. So I'm I'm really excited. Yeah, and it really it it aligns with what our goal was when we set things up at the start. Is we just wanted to bring a new medium of hockey media to to. Uh, to the fans of the game and uh, if people are responding and people are listening we'll be talking yeah it's been really cool and I mean that was the initial plan from the outset it, it wasn't so much a, a financial reward for, for our sake it was getting the word out there getting the sport out there and uh, yeah if, if we can get out there and, and do so then then all the better. But uh, yeah, of course as we do in each and every episode we've got a special guest you heard a little teaser from him right at the beginning as he was telling a, a family member in the background that he was doing a podcast. But uh, yeah, tell us a bit more about him, Tyron. Yeah, today uh, we're fortunate to to have someone who who over the years has uh, someone I'd now consider a friend. Uh, you used to be someone I used to follow uh, quite avidly as a fan of the game uh, when I was first uh, following South African hockey Uh it is the one and only Alistair Fredericks. Ellie, welcome to the show. Thanks, guys. Yeah, great to have Good you on the line. Yeah, great to have you on the line, Alistair. Um, where do we find you as we speak? What are you up to? Uh, I just got back from a hockey game. Um, shock or a shock? All started. Uh, no, uh, it was again rained out. Uh, we've had massive thunderstorms that have affected all the hockey um, across Johannesburg. So, yeah, our game got washed out. First game of the season, guys were pretty excited, I believe, uh, men's team. But yeah, we'll have to replay the game. Bit of a bummer. Yeah, you know, I think even the weather is, uh, it's like the people in the country. Everything wants to be in Joburg. I know. We still have listeners. I should, I should uh, not offend them too, too soon in the show. Ali, um, yeah, look, obviously when we put together a list of, of people we wanted to, to bring onto the, the podcast, uh, your name was right near the top. Um, when I started writing the breakaway for SA Hockey, you were one of the first that I sat with. And that's because for so many people, you are a hero of the sport. You were our first uh, player of color to represent South Africa post-isolation. You went to the 96 Olympics. I mean, in your in your 59 official caps post-isolation that you had for South Africa, is there something that stands out as as your best moment? You know, there's uh, obviously quite a few moments that I can say was my best moments. Um, probably the most significant was meeting Nelson Mandela and actually doing the speech in Parliament before we left for the Olympic Games. I had to take two glasses of wine though to make sure that I could uh, speak in front of the whole Parliament. That was Derek um, before tonight. That was obviously my debut. You know, I was selected for the South African men's team 
after being selected for the development team, to actually go on tour to Australia to watch the South African men's team. I was eventually actually selected for the team, and I made my debut starting lineup against Germany. That was probably one of the most unbelievable moments of my life, playing against one of the top teams in the world and being, um, you know, in a starting lineup. So that, that really comes to mind. And and in your 59 caps, you have an an almost remarkable goal-a-game record. Um, what, yeah, what well, is the most, most of them were against the African teams. I mean, it was really tough beating the big teams like Pakistan and Holland. And, you know, we had a goal-scoring specialist in those days by the name of Greg Nickel. And this is kind of setting him up and making sure he gets, you know, <laughs> the result that we did in my couple of years playing for South Africa. We remained in the top 10. Stood a chance to the Olympics to make the top 8. And we were very consistent. We also had the likes of big man Brian Mybig in goals who probably kept us from losing quite a lot of test matches. But we were very consistent. We had a very good coach in Kevin Pederson. Um And yeah, we, we actually achieved some really good results in our year. Come on, Alistair. You don't score that many goals by just setting up Greg Nickel. Eh? <laughs> You've got to do some work yourself. Yeah, we played. Look, I've played a couple of Africa games. I've played a couple of series in South Africa. We scored a few goals, and yeah, so I was lucky to have gotten to the end of your goals. But um, you know, it's always a team effort, and uh, it was a phenomenal time of my career in terms of of, of being a part of a of an unbelievable setup. It was difficult being the only non-white in the team. You know, with lots of politics. Um, you know, it, it was literally almost seven to eight years that I was the only non-white in the team. But it was always difficult from that perspective to get used to, you know, being with 16 or 17 white guys from a different background. But, you know what, um, I had to fight, scratch and bite and make sure that, you know, I had value where I needed to be adding value. Alice, you said it was difficult. I mean, was just was that just a cultural thing or, or did you actually feel like an outsider at times um, because of your color? Oh, yeah. No, for sure. Um, it's one of the most difficult things being in a setup where you come from a very poor background, come from a you know, poor schooling system. When you're walking um, into a change room where you've got guys coming from the Hiltons and the Kezes and those boys, you know, who were afforded probably a better opportunity in making teams. So it was difficult in that sense. You know, the culture, you know, going overseas, um, having to do what other Oaks do, not having the finances to do it. So before you even get on the field, there's a whole lot of stuff that you've got to you know, get to understand um, and also just, you know, to become a part of. Otherwise, uh, you know, you can't do stuff in isolation. So it always becomes difficult. It was really challenging. Do do you think it was an extra motivating factor to to achieve what you achieved, uh, knowing full well that you had to work that much harder to, to have gotten where you were? Uh, where you were with with guys who, who were obviously very very talented, but maybe were were given things slightly easier along the way. Oh, for sure. Um, I think one of the things that that stands out in in, in my career um, was always fighting to actually, you know, help get other Oaks on on board and and trying to motivate those guys to stay in it. Because in my year, we had quite a few talented players that should have probably have made the national team. You know, I had my heroes when we were growing up playing only non-white hockey. And none of those guys were afforded the opportunity and they were really superb players. If I, if I look back at now as being a coach and what those guys had in terms of talent and not being afforded the opportunity to do what I did, it's actually sad. Um, I, a few names I could mention, but I won't mention them now. But 
um, it was very difficult. It was really difficult. And uh, Ali, a little bit about the the Sakos uh, Sakos time. I mean, what was it like? You know, I always I was, it was phenomenal. I always tell people, you don't know, you can't have a future if you don't know your past. Um, we used to play hockey. I mean, the first time I actually played against them, a white person was probably by the age of eighteen or nineteen. Um, I, when I played hockey since I was eleven, so I've gone through a, a, quite a bit of where we were isolated in terms of what we did. Our tournaments, I mean, I made the national color team at the age of 16 already. And I was playing with the top guys, such as Gary Dull, who's now youth manager for South African Hockey, Gregory Nip, Cecil Rhodes. I mean, these were all masters of the game. Peter Stahler was one of my heroes. All masters of the game and never, ever were afforded the opportunity to actually play for their country. Those guys were representative of the colored South African men's hockey teams. And they were just absolutely... Absolutely superb players, and they played on grass. They didn't have a chance to play on Astrodome, so it was always um, was difficult when I made the national team to sit back and actually see some of the Oaks in that was in my current era, not even get a call up or even just knock on the door to get you know a chance to play for South Africa. Hayden Townsend, current president of South African Hockey, Dion Morgan was one of the best players, and you know I I still think he should have made the national team when I made the national team. Um, Calvin Seal, I can name them off a heart. These guys were amazing players and never ever got the opportunity to represent the country. So yeah, I mean we've got a, such a proud history from um, from where we come. It was always proud. We've always tried to make the Sakos team. You know, we had the Sakos Festival, which was almost like a mini Olympics where the top non-white rugby teams or rugby players all met to compete against each other: hockey, swimming, netball. And this was held either in Cape Town or, you know, one of the more dominant non-white cities where, um, you know, we had facilities that we could hire and use. And it was just one of those things that made us, you know, realize that sport was one of the things that kept us together during the times of apartheid. It was something that we could do without, you know, worrying about the, you know, the color of our skin and just represent and try to be the best amongst each other and represent you know, ourselves as, as the best amongst each other. Knowing that we don't ever get to go on an overseas tour, but just get the acknowledgement of picking up a little trophy with a, a hockey stick man on it and and a picture of you with your sack of tractor. That was about it. And we were so proud to have made those teams. Yeah, and, and Eli, I think what, what, what is great is, uh, and I don't by any means uh, say this is a finished product, but, you know, we are now seeing more and more players that in the past would not have been open to that opportunity, getting the opportunities. I mean, Julian Hikes is obviously a standout name, getting over 100 caps. Riza Rosenberg for the indoor side. But, you know, I'm more looking at the younger generation coming through, the Mulricks, Maddox, the Dalpira Langfords, the Rustin Abrahams. And a lot, of these, a lot of these guys are coming through thanks to something that you've helped put together called uh, the Baloo College and, and the hockey system there. Yeah, I think it's, it's it's actually come along. You know, I used to when I when I left um, when I got an offer from Pretoria Technicon in in nineteen ninety four ninety ninety five. Um, after you know uh, leaving Kimberley, I was I was a fit and said with the beers. I was afforded the opportunity to make changes in people's lives. You know, the minute I went to Peter, the the day I went to PWR, it was even I was even given a better opportunity. I think I put about thirty kids. Um, players of color that I brought into the TWR system. 
Um, I then worked for UJ, but you know, when I when I left UJ to work for Baloo, I was even afforded a better opportunity of getting a philanthropist type person to actually fund, um, you know, a scholarship fund that caters for the needs of, of really quality non-white players, also white, um, and, you know, pays for their studies, pays for everything from shoes to sticks to travel to food. And this has really opened up um, a massive uh, opportunity for me to grow a lot of players. And um, even with the Luther Hockey Club, it's been a massive opportunity to grow certain individuals, teach them the right way, make sure that they understand, you know, responsibilities in terms of off the field, on the field, um, build a better base of players from a technical perspective, tactical perspective, empower people to be, you know, more clever as to how to operate in the hockey world, empower people to be better coaches. So it's really opened up so much avenues and opportunities for me to make a difference in quite a number of people's lives. And, and my first two graduates, Jesse Sala and Sizuam Temple, is now studying their honours. I mean, these boys came from um, Kingley Boys High School, came here to me for three years. Um, we afforded them an opportunity to study fully funded at the university with accommodation. And the rest of these three, Sizuam is probably going to be in the national setup very soon. Jesse is on the cusp of making the Southern A side. So yeah, it, it, it's 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 awesome to have people that are keen and you know that want to you know pass with their money and and help others and all I'm I am is a tool that just gives them that opportunity. So yeah, I'm pretty blessed with that. Alistair, knowing quite a few sports people that have have gone on to retire from this uh, various sports uh, along the way, be it cricket, rugby, etc. Um, a lot of them don't stay in the sport. Of course, we do see the regulars as commentators and the odd coach, but uh, I think more than less go on to just quit the sport completely and they'll go on to the business world, etc., or, or do whatever. Um, but hockey, there's there's a, a running theme throughout the people that we've spoken to uh, when it comes to ex-players, and that um, bar none, they stay in the game, uh, be it... Uh, on on many levels, so be it either as a coach or or just generally involved in the game, and and it's something very special about hockey players, and that it never leaves them at all. Um, and I mean, yeah, just just you speaking now, um, I mean that that certainly is still the case with, with regards to you. Absolutely, I mean, you know, there's nothing else that I do other than hockey that's made me be able to, you know, give myself a a lifestyle that I'm okay with. My family's fine. Um, also made sure that you know uh, once again that you know I can I can run clubs I've I've, I've run a few clubs TWR New Rovers I've now got Baloo and they've been very successful clubs because you kind of teach people that one you got to respect yourself two you got to make sure that you stop blaming people for what happened in the past and just create an opportunity that you go out there and show people that you can actually perform and it was always difficult changing mindsets for especially non-white people because you know once we get a umpire blow against us we all think it's a racist thing but you know I make sure that people understand we don't blame we go out there we do our thing and we make sure that things happen I've been afforded the opportunity to make a life from hockey you know running academies doing my PSI you know running clubs and um, yeah it's been, it's been it's been a beautiful and unbelievable ride for me but more so the fact that I can give other people opportunities is what probably is the thing that keeps me going and just seeing some of the kids you know uh, Tara mentioned a few kids, Marvin, Simon, Selfie, Arlo Lang, but all these kids who've come from poor communities from Newcastle and from East London, and just seeing how they're thriving in the university, set up making Southern Southern teams, getting to travel, 
getting sponsorship, you know, it's, it's unbelievable. It, it just like, kind of makes you smile deep inside. Yeah, Ali, and, and I think a big credit to you, um, obviously through PSR, we've been chatting about uh, the Kimberley Heat, uh, which is the newer franchise that you started. And once again, the Northern Cape have been attending RPTs, uh, winning a C-section, B-section, whatever it was that they won, competing, getting involved. Once again, a, a massive hotbed for player of color uh, talent, and we're getting them involved again. So I think... Exactly what you say, your goal has been to create an opportunity and that's exactly what you're doing and we're, we're seeing the players come through because of it. No, absolutely. I mean, um, the Kim Lee is now done by, you know, my partner, Maori Nader, and he's doing a phenomenal job there. And it's always difficult when you've got a little small city and something new comes up. Uh, people are fighting the system there because this one wants to do that. You know, we're going to keep making sure that we produce some players. We sent 20-odd kids to Cape Town last year. I think hopefully this year we can send 40 to 60 kids. Uh, the same applies to my franchise, the Bopo Heat, the Bopo Leopard, sorry, in Tanin, in, in that area. Uh, we took over 60 kids. We're looking to take 100 kids. And again, it's just about creating opportunity for kids to be a part of an absolutely unbelievable um, event, which is called PSI Nationals, whether it's under 12, under 11, or under 13, 14, 15, 16. And you know, people always say, yeah, it's a, it's a money-making. It's all about creating an opportunity. Um, it's a business for most of us. But you know what? We've changed lives completely. And, you know, it's all seen by the fact that you actually can see the number of provincial representatives. We have one in provincial indoor teams and two in provincial outdoor teams. You literally could go to an under-16 and under-18 tournament and see the quality of the players um, that have come through the PSI system. And indoor hockey is just of such a nature, nature that it's actually... Um, complements your outdoor hockey and um, because it's becoming such a high standard being played at junior level suddenly our national teams are competing and <laughs> making things happen we just saw the previous European tour ladies went on achieve results that I mean nobody would have thought we'd beat people you know, teams like Switzerland and, and there we did the South African men's hockey team hasn't been announced the indoor team but I can tell you it's made up of such youth and vibrant players um, I can't wait to watch them play the Swiss team when they come down um and like you said, Tyron, the future, I mean, it's looking bright. Just have to get the right selectors in place, the right people who make these decisions so that when we select these teams, you know, they're based purely on talent, nothing about race, and are given opportunities to go and represent our country because of how good they are, not because we want people in teams. But um, the future is really looking bright in terms of that. Alistair, you've worn many, many different hats when it comes to hockey. Uh, and taking away your role as a player because that was always fun what have you enjoyed yeah. doing the most since your playing days when it comes to the sport um geez, my whole life almost evolved around hockey so everything I do is probably that I don't even have a, a hobby because my hobby is coaching um, so yeah I've loved administrating of the sport being involved at various executive levels, being involved in the running of clubs, being involved in running the trust fund, the Alice Ferry Hockey Development Trust Fund, um, being involved in running my club, the Lou Hockey. Um, you know, we started that club with about 40 members. We're sitting on about 250 to 300 juniors. We've got four senior clubs. So that in itself is quite a, you know, it's quite a quite a big ask. I mean, our PSI Indoor Southern Gauteng or Gauteng League, um, we average about between 1,000 to 1,500 kids playing this week. So it keeps me really busy, but also affords me opportunity to kind of give quite a few people opportunities to work. Um, 
You know, we've got a staff complement of over 20 people on any given weekend running different venues. So everything that, you know, we've done has been to empower people and give people opportunity to, you know, earn a salary, with it not be the most thing, but the point is that they're making a difference and they're doing something they love doing. So for me, it's all been about hockey. If I'm not doing any hockey, geez, what am I doing? Probably fooling around in the yard or swimming with the kids or playing some squash. And that's about it. And hopefully we can plan a holiday, you know, in between all the hockey with the family to actually just spend some time with, with, with all the kids. Hockey is a holiday. <laughs> yeah, <it is. laughs> yeah, I was going to say, you said that's about it. I mean, you, you talk about hockey. Hockey is great. Then you say if you're not playing hockey, you, you're swimming with the kids, you're playing squash, you work in the garden. I mean, don't really get much better than that. Uh, I mean, if that's uh, what you're doing to break away from hockey then, uh, yeah, you, you really don't need a breakaway. Um, but, uh, uh, Alistair, you, you talk about the administration side of things, and it's always a running theme when we when we speak about hockey administration in the country when it comes to financials. That is the biggest struggle always, is, is money, um, particularly when it comes to funding uh, any professionals in South Africa or semi-professionals, um, if they if they even reach that level. Um over the last couple of years, what, what, what has been the reaction like with people that you've worked with, be it sponsors, being supporters, being players? Do you think hockey is on the up or on the down? And I don't mean from a playing perspective. I mean from getting it up and running. Financial perspective. Financial perspective, just to, to, to make things work like clockwork. Because, you know... It, it, it's been a bugbear over a couple of years. And I mean, you can wake up tomorrow not having known anything about hockey and you'll realize very, very quickly that it's a sport that seriously is struggling financially. Oh, uh, you know, it's, it's not even on the up. Hockey is financially just one of those sports that is trading. Um, I will give an example. Last year, under 18, under 16, Southern Gauteng players were playing in excess of 9,000 rand per week hockey. So from an affordability perspective, you can imagine we've got all these talented black and, and, and colored kids who could easily walk into anything, but because they're financially, you know, strained, there's no chance of them going on these events. I go back to the era where I played. I was very lucky because we had NetBank, we had sponsors on board that, you know, our current national men would have dreamed of. I mean, I was sponsored by Adidas. I was sponsored by... Reebok at one stage, I had um, a few players who had all of the different types of sponsors. And today, it's literally very difficult to even find an individual sponsor um, for national teams, let alone a sponsor for a national team. Um, we've had a few people who've come on board, Mug and Dean and all of those, but it's all temporary because the hockey, hockey is just not as exposed a sport as your rugby or your cricket and all of those are. So people are very hesitant to invest their money in that. You literally have to kind of give your money away when it comes to hockey because your return is not going to be good enough. The same applies for, you know, uh, the amount of tournaments players are currently going to. I could give an example of a top under 18 or 19 boy who's now going to university. He'll make the uh, Southern Houting men's side that'll cost him about eight, nineteen grand. And then he'll go and he'll make the varsity cup side that'll cost him another five, you know, five to seven thousand rand. He did make the indoor team that'll cost him another four, five thousand rand. You can imagine you've got to actually now choose what events you go to. And if you just miss one event, you might miss out making an SS student side or SMN's indoor side or SMN's outer side, purely because of the fact that you cannot afford to go to a specific tournament. So it is one of the worst things that obviously has affected, you know, the ability of, of players to, 
actually be exposed at a at a at a, at a higher level. Um, we just had CHL, which is probably I wouldn't say it's one of the best in terms of uh, of quality, but at least it afforded players an opportunity to travel for free and compete against the rest of the country. Um, that's the type of sponsor we need on board, where government and Somebody big, some big company comes on board and says, listen, we will sponsor PHL, we'll sponsor an IPT where players don't have to pay. And start getting, you know, the players that actually can run these tours and afford these tours and probably has the ability to make a national team actually being there. Mm. Because there's nothing worse trying trying to pick players who actually can afford to go on a tournament. Um, and those guys get purely exposed because they can financially actually make it there. So it becomes, um, you know, a double-edged sword for us. Um, it's just... It's just a financially draining thing, and and it, 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 it needs to be addressed um, from a from a national perspective. You know, South African hockey needs to probably look at, from my perspective and personally, start looking to run South African hockey like a business. You know, if PSI could be the success that it is because of one little simple brainchild of Simon Martin, and you know they making the type of money they do because it is a it is a it is a business that they're running South African hockey should be looking to, to to create events where it becomes financially viable, they're actually making money from that. Um, and also, you know, possibly getting a major sponsor on board, which well, we all know is fairly difficult. So we're all struggling. I mean, we just pulled out of the Ajlan Shark Cup where players were asked to fork out 20,000 rand. And again, players were called and asked, are you available? I mean, you can't, there's no chance that anything of that is going to get called up and asked you know, are you available, Joel Stransky? Um, have you got the 20K? You're in the squad. Can you go? But that's what's happening. And now, you know, players are being afforded opportunity to go with the national tour. But obviously, you have to cough out money and some just don't have the money. Yeah, so, I mean, if, if we look at 2018, Ali, I mean, 2018, we had an indoor hockey World Cup. We had an outdoor hockey World Cup. There are a couple of players that play across both. Those yeah, same players would have was, played in the indoor RPT. They would have played in the yeah. outdoor RPT. A bunch of those Correct. players would have played in USA, potentially yeah. varsity plus they, sports. Yeah, plus they got to study or work. So, well, we we, we had an estimate that for a player who played across those six last year would have cost them, and and this is just a staggering thought, one hundred and twenty thousand rand to play hockey for South Africa. I mean, that, that's just madness. Sorry, just to repeat Without that number: one hundred and twenty thousand rand. It yep. would cost the uh, player. Yep. That it would cost the player to participate in every major event in South African hockey. Oh. No, you're correct. Which is what Cristiano Ronaldo earns in about, what, three <laughs> or four minutes? Yeah, he, he earns Probably. it by, from lacing up his boots. I mean, it's what, it's what, <laughs> it's what Derek and I are earning on this podcast. Mm. Uh, Absolutely. They're going to get you guys involved <laughs> in podcasting some of the players. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's going to become the hockey 24-7 everything. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, just disclaimer: We're not earning that yet, but if you'd like uh, <laughs> to sponsor us, you'd like to, to sponsor. Come on board. <laughs> yeah, Elia. Uh, also, over the past four years, you've uh, been the convener of selectors for both the men and uh, for both them. Um, well, only for the men, but for both indoor and outdoor. Um, yeah, a selector is a very, very difficult role in this country because we select based on an IPT tournament, but you've seen some special talents. If you're able to, is there one or two from indoor and outdoor that uh, you think the general public, if they don't know about, should know about? From a player perspective? Yeah, from a player perspective. 
species is quite a few, but you know what stands out is probably the Casting brothers. I mean, these two boys are probably going to be the most phenomenal two players that we're going to have in this country. You know, the likes of Marvin Simons that's coming through. Um, they're such absolute pure. They look as if they're gliding with the ball. You know, they're just superb talent. And um, yeah, they probably stand out the most for me at this stage. And I mean, you've seen the impact these two players have on an outdoor uh, team as well as an indoor team. They literally, they literally won IPT themselves this year. Oh, yeah, um, when it I, came I, to the main perspective. So, so yeah, I think uh, I I know there's much more players and pretty exciting players coming through the system from a convener perspective. It was always difficult managing um, being a convener, um, having to you know knock heads with the national coach or with other selectors. Um, views are always different, and at the end of the day, it becomes a voting thing. And yeah, it is one of the most difficult jobs selecting the best players. Um, you know, the coach has got his ideas of what he wants, the national, because the lickers have their ideas and the convener has to put all of that together with his own ideas. So it's always difficult. But the talent out there, and if we get it right, I know that Bruce Jacobs is important, board and a couple of other guys. Hopefully they get it right this year in, in, you know, getting the right team selected for the Olympic Games, which is coming up, as well as just qualifying for that. So, yeah, their, their job is going to be tough. We, we recently spoke to well-known coach Ross Willis, and we asked him a similar question to what we posed to you about the talent coming through. And he could not stop singing the praises enough of the Cousin Brothers. Uh, as you mentioned, I mean, those guys are destined for greatness. If uh, And hopefully we don't lose them. I mean, it's not beyond the realms of possibility where hockey, if they simply can't sustain it financially, that you could lose someone like that, as talented as they are. And hopefully that, that won't, will not be the case. Well, they aren't really playing in Belgium, and I'm sure he's making impact there. So, you know, he could probably spend every year in Europe and earning his keep there. Um, yeah, his brother's obviously starting still at school, but for, you know, at the tender age that he is and still, you know, probably standing the chance of making the national indoor team and possibly soon being called up for the national senior squad. Um, if our program that we put in place is not, you know, well run and we are going to give you those opportunities to go and apply the trade overseas we're going to lose some of these players uh, the other thing is that we've got to qualify for all the major events and luckily South Africa usually qualifies for the Olympic Games but that's obviously a SASOC um, event and they decide whether we go or not but we do qualify for the World Cup and uh, you know the performances we put up there is all going to be based on the type of players that we selected and are these players being given enough opportunity to actually go and perform at these events. Uh, you take, for example, the Commonwealth Games, when we selected that team, I think they literally had four training sessions in South Africa, three training games in Australia, and we expect these guys to come on ending top 10. The World Cup team couldn't even, have a, couldn't even have a camp properly together. So the poor South African men's hockey coach, whoever's going to be the next incumbent, has got to understand that he's got to scratch and fight to get his squad together. He's got to scratch and fight to get finance for them. He's got to scratch and fight to get a training game for them and and then you know the pressure's on him to still get results so yeah very difficult very very difficult yeah but uh ali i've, I've asked you this question offline but i'm going to ask you it's uh, online on a recording you know there's there's currency currently a vacancy in the indoor indoor men's coach <laughs> is your na- is your name in the hat or isn't it you know, as I've been involved in South Africa for so many years, and I said to my wife, I want to just take a break now. I've obviously not been asked to be a selector anymore. Well, whatever the reason is that they don't want me there, it's not, not really a problem. But I want to take a bit of a break. I'm enjoying coaching Baloo at this stage. 
I think I would probably be interested when I put a new batch of new players that I see coming through are there. So I'll give it another three or four years. I'll keep myself current in terms of ensuring from a knowledge point of view, I you know keep studying the game, see what international teams are doing, trends. Um, I do a lot of workshops for other coaches, so I learn every time I have these workshops. And I, I would, uh, I want to, I want to actually be a, a part of of the new era, um, not some of the current uh, guys that are there. I think some of the selectors would still want to keep some of these guys there. There's just some bad apples that needs to go, but that's another story. Um, but I think I'll give it a bit of a break now. I think we'll get some new, fresh coaching staff in there and see what they can do. And yeah, hopefully one day. It's always been my dream to coach the South African men's side. Um, I've coached the indoor side before, but that's years ago. I've been assistant coach for five years, Paul Livington, some of the other national coaches. And I've learned quite a bit over the last few years. And I think it will stand me in good stead when I actually decide to come and do this job. I'll actually know the political environment. I'll know the players that are coming through. And I think the important thing for any national coach is that you understand and know your players and know the people that you want on your side that's going to take you through your four-year tenure. So I'll give it a skip this time, Tizer. I think we'll, you and I will watch with baited face with the new coaching staff. He's in the, we'll support him where we can, but we know the, 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 the hardships that they're going to be facing. But when your ad says, you know, your ad says it's a, it's a, a free job difficult to, <laughs> yeah, to actually apply. But, but Alistair, the, the squash court's always going to be there. The garden's always going to be there. The pool's always going to be there. These uh, vacancies don't come around every day. And who knows? I mean, maybe, I mean, you, you say once you can ascertain what the political situation's like and the situation in general, I mean, maybe you can take the reins and, and, uh, and force some change. Yeah, look, quite easy taking the reins and, and, and trying to force change. Um, I've been with so many national coaches and I've seen the difficulty. I've been with Fabian Gregory. I've seen the difficulty that these guys go through. It's one of the, uh, I think it's one of the toughest jobs from a national coaching perspective because you've got so many ideas. You've got so many plans. You submit budgets, you submit travel plans, you submit tours. And the only thing you're going to get is hopefully a camp in Durban or a camp in in Johannesburg and you're hoping all the players will get time off that you can get your squad together. There's nothing worse than training with a depleted squad. Um, you've still got overseas-based players. For them to come back, it's a huge fight getting them back because it's financially not viable for them to fly in for a camp or for a pre-season or pre-tournament camp. They literally have to fly to wherever the event is and then you haven't even had time to spend with them. So, it's very tough, I must tell you. And, I don't want to be involved with that at the moment. I don't know if it's going to change, hopefully one day, but I mean, I'm there to support South African Nokia. I know all the top executives. Wherever I'm needed, I'll go, but not at coaching at this stage. Yeah, look, I think there's this youngster that's got quite a lot of talent. Uh, you might have heard of him. His name is uh, Tristan Fredericks. And, uh, you know, when he's breaking that's, that's through... The next box there we go. There we go. <laughs> He's definitely going to be a bock right now. I'll make sure of that. <laughs> but he's about that surname, though. <laughs> yeah, I know. But he's got that surname. <laughs> oh, you know the Fredericks, they have that Frankie Fredericks turn of pace, eh? You won't believe it. Every tournament I went to overseas, Olympic Games, everybody thought I was family of Frankie Fredericks. Eventually, <laughs> I gave in and just said, yeah, he's my cousin. I just don't have his face. Yeah, no, there we go. There we go. There uh, we go. You know, Chris Barnard is obviously my uncle, um, <laughs> but, but not at all. 
Ali, exactly. Ali, we're getting to that important time of the podcast where we ask you to participate in the Hockey 24-7 one-question quiz. So uh, your question, I thought uh, you brought it up, but all the way back in 1996, we went to the Atlanta Olympic Games. Um, yeah. And of course, uh, you were part of the team. In the opening game, we played against Australia in our first what game. What a game. What a game. Right. This is not your question. What was the score? 2-2. Two, two. It was 2-2. Two, two. And who scored South Africa's equalizer? Craig Nichols. You answered that too convincingly. And it is correct. <laughs> correct, it is. You won't believe that four weeks prior to the Olympic Games, we played Australia in Cairns. They beat us 8-1. Mark Hager was very smug after beating us. And when we got them in the Olympic Games first game and we beat 2-2, two, two, Mark Hager did not shake one of our hands. <laughs> That's how peed off he was. <laughs> uh, look, I mean, if you do look through that 96 Olympics, it's, uh, we were probably a unlucky not to have made the top eight with all the draws. Oh, we, we, were, we, were, we were one game away. We needed a result from Korea and it just didn't go our way. Yeah, I mean, the, the draw with Korea, the, uh, there was a draw with, um, I was just looking at it here, we drew with Malaysia, we drew with yeah. Australia. If we had just turned one of those into a win, we would have been top just eight. Just one of them into a win would have, would have changed everything for us. Oh, listen, well, look, if, good, if we had beat Australia, we could knock them out of the top four. Yeah, that's exactly what would have happened. Oh, beautiful. Ellie, from our side, thanks very much. Uh, look, I love what you do for hockey. I love what you've done for so many people involved in hockey, from Baloo to PSI to SA Hockey uh, to A2. Uh, I mean, what you guys are doing there. I think it's great. And thanks, uh, yeah, David. anytime you want to chat, you're welcome back on Hockey 24-7. Guys, thanks for having me. Absolutely awesome. Yeah, absolute pleasure. I was just going to add to what Tyron just said. I mean, what what you are doing is, is phenomenal, Alistair. And if you do need any help, if you need us to spread the word, please uh, don't hes- hesitate in letting us know. And keep us updated as well with developments. Um, just regards Absolutely. to uh, your personal life and, and also just in the grand scheme of things when it comes to the hockey landscape. Uh, keep us in the loop and anything that you would like to let us know, but uh, just let us know and uh, we'll spread the word. Kaiser knows he's always the first today. He just can't divulge it first. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, guys. It was awesome chatting to you. Thanks so Cheers, much, Alistair. Ciao. Have a good evening. Bye. Oh, it's almost as if every conversation we end up, uh, we always just say, geez, what a legend. But but yeah, again, what, what a great guy. And geez, he's doing remarkable things. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Baloo, the growth, uh, PSR, Gauteng, Griffins, who actually go on a European tour every year. So we're talking about hockey that doesn't have money. Yeah. And these are guys that are, it, it just shows you there there is where hockey is run in the right way. There is money and uh, just... One big corporate needs to just uh, give hockey the chance that Sassel has given Banyana Banyana. And they may very well turn this into a bit of a, a gold mine for themselves. Well, there we go. The space is open. You've got a blank canvas in which to, to paint your picture. So any sponsors out there, they can come on board and make magic. And you've heard uh, from 
For there, there are so many Alistair Fredericks out there, not just talented players, but people that want the sport to shine. And the reason they want the sport to shine is because the individuals that are sitting below will benefit from it. Uh, and we're talking from, from kids three and up. It's, uh, it's a magnificent initiative that he's been involved in, and it certainly can go from strength to strength. But as always, it needs money to make it happen. So, yeah, if anyone out there has it, They'll be willing to take it and make it flourish. Thanks for joining us as always. Thank you, Tyron. We'll uh, we'll be joining you guys soon as always for Hockey 24-7. Cheers.